You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we read in your word that you are our rock. You are our strength. Psalm 28 says that you are our saving refuge. You are our shepherd. And as a people who've come to you this morning, we come with needs, we come with burdens, some of us come with pain physical pain, but you are a sustaining God. You are a good God. You give refuge to the weak. You give hope to the hopeless. And so we come as we are your people and we cry out, oh great God, come and meet us this morning. Meet us through the preaching of your word. Meet us Meet us as we celebrate the Lord's table. Meet us as we fellowship. Meet us in unique ways we would not anticipate or expect. expect. So by the power of the Spirit, we know you are here and we want to be encountered by you. And we thank you that you are indeed a living God. A God who was not only at work yesterday, And then this morning when we woke up, you are at work right now. And may you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome to Sunday Celebration Redemption Hill Church. Um, As I mentioned in the video that I sent out in the last few days, we're having Redemption Hill kids this morning. So, ages 5 to 10, parents, if you would like your kids to participate in Redemption Hill Kids, they can go to Mr. Aaron. Where they're going to go is just right behind me over by the park in a shaded area. We do have some bottled water over there as well uh, for the kids. So, uh, ages 5 to 10, kids, go right over to Mr. Aaron right now, and then he'll take you over. Ms. Johnson's over there as well, and he'll, he has a teaching for you. Kids have fun. All right. One of the goals um, when we're in the park is is try to have Redemption Hill kids. So uh, not next week. We'll next week we'll be at West Kirk again, but the following week we'll be back here at the park and we'll try to do Redemption Hill kids at that point as well. So just kind of a heads up of some of the rhythms over the summer here. Well, as you all know, we are back in the Book of Ephesians, we're talking about our, our our union with with Christ, and um, I'm going to read one verse, and I'm actually dialing back to Ephesians 2.10, and uh, we kind of flew by this, and I'll talk more about that here in a moment, but I've been really meditating and reflecting upon this verse, and you guys know me, like as we go through books of the Bible, if I'm going to slow down for like one verse, I'm going to do that, especially if it feels like the Spirit's saying something here, and so here, here's that verse, um, kind of flew by it last time, but we're going to really focus in on it today, it's Ephesians 2.10. Here's God's word for us this morning. 
for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So several weeks ago, you might remember, I preached from Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10. And of course, I focused on the grace of the gospel. God's grace saves a sinful and rebellious person through faith. That's verse 8. Uh, Since that sermon, I've been mulling over the relationship between the saving grace of God and our good works. What, what does this relationship look like? Ephesians 2.8 is often pitted against this particular passage from the book of James, which talks about the relationship between faith and good works. You might be familiar with this if you understand um, some of the conversation around this particular passage from James 2 and Ephesians 2.8. This is what it says in James 2. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out by another way. That's Joshua 2 that James is mentioning here. And then here's the next verse. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The... um, Famous Martin Luther did not like the book of James because of that particular passage. What is the point being made in these verses by James? Is this passage contradicting Ephesians 2.8? For by grace you have been saved through faith. The point James is making is that faith will produce good works. Notice the language I use there. Faith will produce good works. Think of it this way. If the grace of the gospel has saved you, you have been given like a brand new nature. Brand new nature. And from the new nature, good works will result. Therefore, it's not shocking that after declaring the amazing grace of the gospel in Ephesians 2.8, that Paul is making a, a direct and a quick pivot, pointing out the implications of saving faith. What are the implications? Well, Paul's going to tell you. That's verse 10. Listen, I do not ever want to minimize the unmerited grace of God to save. If you're a Christian, you have buried Ephesians 2.8 in your heart, and you are thankful to God for what he has done in your life. You didn't save yourself. There wasn't a a 10-step process in which you were saved. There's no way uh, to to be saved by being a better person. You were saved by grace alone. God gave you the faith. The work of God to save and redeem is the message of the Bible. It's the crux of Reformed theology. But the grace of God to save is not the end of your story. You see, many Christians think that that's the beginning and end of it all. That's not. It's the beginning of your story. The moment you were saved, a new nature was given to you. And from your new nature, you produce life. I mean, think about what you were before. You were dead. Dead things can't produce life. Dead things produce more dead things. But no. You've been given a new nature, and you can produce life. 
It's a new nature that produces good works. Only a new nature from God produces good works for God. So what do we do with our works? Why is the Bible full of commands to do good works? We rightly talk about the grace of God, especially here at Redemption Hill Church. But I think Ephesians 2 tells us more. And I think because Ephesians 2.8 is like Mount Everest, it like casts a shadow on the rest of Ephesians 2. It's easy, I think, to kind of fly by verse 10. So we come to Ephesians 2.8 and we celebrate with joy. Then we arrive at verse 10 and we just kind of move on with our day. But this morning... I aim to point out to you that the grace of God to save is not disconnected from God's call for you to do good works or to do good deeds. I mean, that passage that Joe read from Titus 2 is really important because it's, in that passage, he's, he's, he's connecting the two. By grace, you have been saved. And by God's grace, God continues to be at work in your life through what you do. Here's an example of the, the dynamic I'm trying to point out. A company or business does not hire a person to sit around. I mean, could you imagine that? Yeah, we're going to hire you. What are you going to do? You just sit there. No. When a company employs a person, there are specific tasks for which the person is hired for. Likewise, God does not redeem a person to live an idle life. God saves, and then he says, hey, you, you go do my work. You go do my work. In addition to what we read in Ephesians 2.10, the emphasis on maintaining good works as Christians is replete all over the pages of Scripture and especially the book of Titus, which I've already mentioned. Here's one of six statements I could quote from you from Titus. We heard one this morning. It says this in Titus 3. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things. Paul's like, hear this, I'm insisting so that those who have believed in God may be careful to do what? To devote themselves to good works. One of the points Paul makes to his disciple Titus is that faith is active. Faith is not idle, but faith comes to life with your everyday deeds. Your good works are so important to God that they actually play a factor at the second advent of Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes back. I mean, we could make a biblical theology of good works from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. God's word takes your deeds to an eschatological end. As we come to the end of the Bible, these words of Christ were recorded by the Apostle John. Behold, I am coming, Jesus says, bringing my recompense, basically making amends with me, to repay each one for what he has done. That's what Jesus is going to do. To repay each one for what he has done. You see, God does take note of what his sons and daughters are doing. Your good works matter to God. Why do your good works matter to God? Because if you've been saved by the grace of the gospel, the God has entrusted you to reflect and refract his image on earth. Let me, let me stick with those two terms, these two ideas of 
reflecting and refracting. I, I've thought about how we, are, how we are to be image bearers of God here on earth through these two terms from a friend up in, the, up in the Twin Cities who's a pastor. Been really helpful for me. We need to reflect and refract. As an image bearer of God who is in Christ, you reflect the goodness and glory of God by the way you love your neighbor, by the way you love your church family, by the way you love your spouse and your children. When others see your good works, they're supposed to see God reflected in your life. When it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and Jesus is the exact imprint of God, well, you, Christian, are to be radiating Christ. You are to be an imprint of Christ upon this world that we are a part of. That is what reflection looks like. Like when I look out on you, I see Jesus. That's what we want others to see as well. Jesus in you, working through you for the good of others. Do you um, remember the bracelets with the acronym WWJD? You know, what would Jesus do? Um, It's thought-provoking to me that the acronym isn't WWJS. What would Jesus say? No, the focus is on doing. You reflect Christ by looking at Jesus And you say, okay, Jesus did that, I'm going to go do that. Jesus taught that, okay, I'm going to go do that. You are also to refract, so that's reflecting. I want to refract the goodness and glory of God through your good works. Refraction is a bit different than reflecting. We see a reflection through a mirror, but refraction moves through an object. Let's say you have this massive diamond and you just... You hold it up to the sun, and the light of the sun just bursts through that diamond. You see it going through. There's a a refraction taking place. The moment God saved you through the good work of Christ on the cross, the beauty and goodness of God began to work through your life like light refracting through a diamond. All of this is important because of what God is doing on earth. What is he doing? God's kingdom. His spiritual kingdom advances on earth through you, through all of you. God makes himself known to others through your good works. Now, let's look at the fine details of Ephesians 2.10 because what we read in this passage, in this one verse, is, is, is stunning to me. This one verse helps us to see that God didn't save you so that you can put your feet up on the recliner and just chill until you die. You were created and recreated for so much more. For so much more. The first clause we need to settle in our hearts from this passage is this. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Before mentioning good works, Paul says that you belong to God. The saving work of the gospel made a claim upon your life. You once lived for yourself, but now you live for God. You once had an old nature, but now you have a new nature. You are God's. I like how the uh, NLT translates this verse. I don't gravitate to that particular translation very often, but I actually liked it right here. It says this, for you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You were created with purpose. You were created with beauty. 
You were created by God and for God. The Greek word for workmanship is used in classical times for the work of a craftsman, uh, such as maybe a craftsman who makes a crown. The crown only exists because of the craftsman. The craftsman makes the crown the way he pleases, and he is the owner of the crown. So it is with you. You are a crown made by God, and you are God's precious possession. As we've seen throughout the first two chapters of Ephesians, there's an undeniable emphasis on possession. It seems this emphasis reoccurs because God wants you to know that what you do, those good works, what you do corresponds with who you identify with. I've mentioned this in the past, I'm going to mention it again today, that the idea of a, of a person belonging to God is, it can be a hang-up for so many people, even Christians in the church. It's a hang-up. I was thinking about this, you know, why is that a hang-up? You know, Paul said that I'm owned by God. <laughs> You're owned by God. Why is that a hang-up? I thought of two ways, there's, there's more, why this could be a hang-up for some people. It could be a hang-up on an ontological perspective, or it's a hang-up based upon function. Here's what I mean. When I use the word ontological or ontology, I'm talking about a person's essence or being. The very core, who you are, what defines you. One of the great sins of humanity, I think, is that it believes its being or essence is defined by the self. It's common for people to think, I don't belong to God because I'm an an autonomous human being. Nobody owns me. It's common all over in our culture today. Therefore, if God does not own a person, the person owns him or herself. As a result, works are done for what reason? For the self. If you're an autonomous human being and you own yourself, you do good works for yourself. Now, I do, I do not expect non-Christians to understand that essence or being is directly related to God, but the church cannot forget the source of her being. If you are a Christian, you cannot ignore the basis of your being. You belong to God because he created you, not the other way around. You were created in his image. You don't make God into your, your image. You were created in the image of of the creator. And even more than all that, you are now a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5:17 because you are in Christ. There is no room for autonomy in the Christian life. If I am correct in saying there's no room for autonomy in the Christian life, then there are massive implications on the good works that are to be done and who good works are to be done for. So understanding being and essence matters a lot. The second hang up is function. A Christian will believe he or she is created by God and for God, but the facts on the ground might tell another story. I know this can be the temptation. A Christians love God, but there can be little service to God. Now, let me, let me be real for a moment. How, how come some Christians' lives do not square with these words from Christ? Here's one of hundreds of passages I could pick from. At the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, You, Christian, are the light of the world. Talking to you. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others. And why? Why does Jesus say you need to let your light shine before others? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You let your light shine so other people can see God. You see, the Christian life, it is all about opening up the front door and letting people look in. These words from Christ epitomize the Christian life. We want the world to see the good works of Christians so that people in the world may see Christ reflecting and refracting through you. So you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. Therefore, being a Christian assumes acting like a Christian. God owns you and you were created by God and for the purposes of God, which leads me to the next clause in Ephesians 2.10. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. The first thing you should notice is that you were created, here's that language again, in Christ Remember, one of the main themes of Ephesians is a Christian is in union with Christ because he or she is in Christ. But more is being communicated here. By virtue of being in Christ, you have been created for good works. So not only is God's physical handiwork on display through your good works, but all Christians have undergone a spiritual recreation by virtue of just being in Christ. The question, I think, at this point that's worth asking is this. What good works are Christians created for? Right? Like, what are they? We hear why we were created. We were created for God. But what tangible works are we supposed to do for God? That's the brass tacks of the matter here. There are several angles from which I can answer this question, so here's how I want to approach it. I want to frame the motive that God created his people for good works, and then I want to present several categories in which we can think and operate out of so that we can do good works, so that we can reflect and refract God. I, I think we read about the motive of our good works from Romans 13. Here we read, Owe no one anything except love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Notice that your love for others is faith being put into action. In this passage, love is not an idea, love is not a feeling, loving others is not idle living, but it's active. When you love others well, you're, you're, you're fulfilling the commandments. Like, you ever feel burdened by that? How do I fulfill all these commandments? Well, we read right here, love. It's obvious that the purpose of the commandments is for God's people to not do bad works and to pursue good works we can undoubtedly delve quickly into the arena of, of Christian ethics, but perhaps it's more helpful to be practical about what God is asking of his people. If you desire to set your faith into action, thus being willing to do good works for God, 
I'm just going to give you three groupings to, to think out of, kind of a paradigm for you to think out of, like, okay, how do I begin to do good works for God? Here, here's three groupings. Number one, do good works toward those who are closest to you. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Number two, do good works in your local church. And then finally, number three, do good works in your community. From my experience, let's start with number one, it could be most difficult to do good to those who are closest to me. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that. Spouses or siblings might get on each other's nerves. Parents can know about the friction that can exist between them and their children. Whenever there is frustration, it can be difficult to do good works for others. Another reason why it can become difficult to do good to those closest to you is because we take the other person for granted. Like, that temptation is always there if you're married. You can assume the person closest to you is doing just fine, but in reality, God wants to use you to care for your spouse. Here's how I want to encourage everyone here this morning to live out Ephesians 2.10 in the context of your home. Everyone can consciously think of a way to serve someone close to you. Think of someone and something specific and then go do it. It sounds so simple to say, but putting it into practice is a different matter, right? Go do it. Think of that person. Think of that specific thing. Go do it. And then you know what? Go do it again and do it again, and again, and again, and just keep doing it. Here's the second group to consider when you think about good work, second grouping. God also calls Christians to do good works in the local church. Next to the home, the other community created and sanctioned by God is the local church. Yes, there are formal ways to do good works in the church. Uh, Joe led us in worship this morning uh, through his act of service. He was performing a good work for God and for God's church. Aaron's behind me, along with Jocelyn, serving, serving some of our kids this morning. The local church will always provide avenues for you to pursue good works. The real challenge is to seek good works toward others when no one else is looking, right? Are you pushing yourself to see needs in the church that God is calling you to pursue? Like, here's a tip, pro tip. If it ever crosses your mind, even for a split second, even just for a second, just something crosses your mind, that you can do something to serve another person in the church, do not hesitate to do it. 99.9% of the time, your good work is going to bless and you're going to reap the reward of joy because you walked out God's calling for your life in that moment. And I need to say this. I'm oftentimes overjoyed by the secret acts of kindness being done in this church. On the one hand, as a pastor, I'm going to gently continue to push you into that direction, but I also can, I can give story after story after story about this person quietly doing something for that person. And that brings me so much joy. And we just want to continue to do that as a local church. If you think in concentric circles, we are working our way outward, trying to discern how God's people functionally perform good works. The third category is the local community. God calls the church to love our community well through good works. To say it differently, every person a part of this church should desire to be a blessing to the community. 
You could bless a person that you see at the gas station or the grocery store. Like, there are not necessarily written rules for this. Like, you, like this happens every now and then. We're at, we're at, we're at, we'll be at the high year or whatever, and someone needs to take their cart back. I mean, just grab that cart for the person as you're walking by. You're already going into the store. Hold the door. Or it could be more robust. There's a deep need with your neighbor. And are you willing to spend the time? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to help? There are many ways to be a blessing to our community through our good works. Recently, many of, many of us served at Meals from the Heartland. Our community groups are serving organizations like Agape Pregnancy Center in Ruth Harbor. We just want to serve our community because we want them to see God at work. Now, I want to be very clear about one thing that might be misunderstood from this message. Works are not a replacement for gospel proclamation. Works are not a replacement for gospel proclamation. I do not agree with St. Francis of Assisi who coined this phrase, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Do not agree with that statement. Words are absolutely necessary for gospel proclamation and our deeds, our works, our good works become a visible demonstration of what we declare with our words. We're just mapping on what we say with what we do. So we express the love of God in word and in deed. After, after I was saved in early 2000s, I constantly heard the song, um, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. I mean, it's, it's like, that song, it's just repetitive over and over and over. And it's just great. They will know we are Christians by our love. And while at the time I thought that song was a little cheesy, actually, I actually really appreciate that very simple statement. It could not be more true. What do we read in John 13? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what do we read in 1 Corinthians 2? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The aroma of Christ to God. Your good deeds are an expression of love. You are called by God to love well in your home and in your local church. You are called by God to love your community so that they may see why you are really different in a good way. But more than different, we want others to see Christ in our good works. You might have wondered up to this point, is there a difference between the deeds of a non-Christian and the deeds of a Christian? And the answer is yes. A massive difference. There are two unique features of a Christian's good works. And when you stop to think about it, these features set Christians apart from the rest of the world. First, and we get this right from our text, God has prepared in advance your good works. This seems odd at first blush, I admit. Um, at least it was for me when I probably first read Ephesians after I became a Christian. But when you stop to consider what we read about the sovereignty of God in the book of Ephesians, this isn't shocking at all. 
Remember, before the foundation of the world, God chose you, Christian. Before Genesis 1-1, God elected you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If this is the case, it's totally consistent of God to plan in advance for you to do good works for God in very specific ways. God not only chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy without blame, but he also prepared beforehand good works for you to walk in. They're right there. I mean, just for a moment, just, just consider all of the opportunities that you have to do good works. I mean, we, could, we just could take down a list. It won't take long. They're there. So that's a very specific feature of Christian good works. God prepared the works beforehand for you to go and represent God here on earth. The second feature of a Christian's good works is walking. <laughs> it's interesting Um, to notice that we are to walk in good works and not work in them. The idea of walking in good works suggests it's supposed to be natural. Doing good works is like drinking water or even just breathing the air. It's part of who we are. It goes back to the essence and being, right? It's supposed to be natural. As image bearers of God who have been recreated because of the gospel, doing good works is a part of our nature. Our good works help set us apart from the world while also being a blessing to the world. Two final thoughts and then I'll end. How awesome it is of God to entrust his redeemed sons and daughters with the task of reflecting, refracting, and displaying God to a broken and helpless world. He's entrusted you. He's passed the baton, right? It's like, it's like running a relay. Acts, Acts 2 happened, got Pentecost, baton goes into your hand. Oh, now God has entrusted you. God has entrusted you, Christian, to be the source of life and light in the middle of darkness and death. God has entrusted you, Christian, to do good deeds and love so that others might see God's love in you. Now this thought leads to my last thought. What's the end game of doing good to others? What's the end game here? Where are we headed? Is it to feel good about yourself? No, it's not. Is it so that you can tell others how you helped others? Nope, that's not it either. The end game of our good deeds is the glory of God. It's the glory of God on display in your life. Remember, you are reflecting and refracting the glory of God. Now go and do good deeds for your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and just in meditating on one verse alone, we see it's so rich. And we want to be the church. We want to we do what you've called us to, to, which is to do good to others, to love others well. May it begin in our homes. May, may wives and husbands love each other well. May kids and their parents learn to love each other well. May it continue to happen in this church. Lord, I thank you for the good deeds that have taken place out of love here at Redemption Hill Church. May that continue to be the case. And God, we want to be a blessing to our community. 
And we know people are looking, looking at us because of who we profess. And as we profess, we want to do good deeds and so that you may be glorified in our lives and others may come to know you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.